Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to give a quick content warning. There is a brief mention of suicide at the hour and 32 minute mark. So if you want to skip that really, really brief, you probably only need to hit your little plus 15 second thing like once. Okay, enjoy. Tell me a scary tale. Are you now or have you ever been? Uh Uh-oh. A member of the Communist Party. I mean, not officially, but it'd be pretty easy to track my shit, huh? Right. That is one of the things I was, one of the books I was reading about this. I checked out a book from the library. Ooh, I love a library. Yeah, plug for our local libraries, of course. Your local library, regardless of where you are, it may be varying levels of awesome, but it's still super cool. I mean, it's like free, you know? Hell yeah. But it's this book called Demagogue by Larry Ty. It was about McCarthy, who's going to play a central uh, central role in our story today about the second Red Scare. It's such a scolding pose on the cover. Yeah, he's like, listen here, you punk. <laughs> you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Yeah. But one of the points they make in the book is it was really pretty stupid when during the second Red Scare, people were like, oh, so-and-so's a card-carrying member of the Communist Party. He's like, dude, you realize that's a league? Like, who's carrying a card saying, here I am, member of this subversive organization? Please arrest me. <laughs> who's doing that? This is like card carrying Al Qaeda uh, member. Like, they're, they're making business cards now. Like, <laughs> Here's the thing. This is making me really want to make a fancy business card. Like, just like. <laughs> for like for, our for non-existent whoever listens to our show. Yeah. Yeah, we could form our own kind of sub- you know, sub branch or, or, you know, branch. We could just form our own, mm-hmm. like they do in India, you know, Communist Party of USA, but in parentheses, <laughs> teach me communism. Yes. It can be our own stripe. <laughs> uh, it's just, co- it's parentheses book club. Let's be real. <laughs> book club. So ours is like the, like the junior pioneer level of like, you're still sort of learning and then you graduate mm-hmm. up to <laughs> We're, we're the onboarding committee. Yeah. Like, hey, you're new here. <laughs> read, read all this shit. Here's your swag bag. Here's your t-shirt and your card. Make sure you keep that in your wallet at all times. <laughs> in case the government Just wants it. Just in case. <laughs> uh, all right. So that was by way of introducing our topic there. Our topic is the second Red Scare, a.k.a. McCarthyism. So, like, McCarthyism, I always thought of as, like, a separate term specifically just to Joe McCarthy and his antics. But it's actually lent its name to the whole time period where they were doing, you know, they were fucking obsessed with finding communists everywhere. Just gave his name to the whole thing, huh? Did a lot of anti-communism. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy because he totally was a kind of an offshoot of it. I mean, he was not the originator of the Red Scare. He just kind of took it and ran with it. And so much so that everybody was like, damn, we ought to call this after him. <laughs> wow. What a way to go wrong. Yeah, he, he he went, I mean, he went really far with being a complete asshole and totally wrong. Uh, but yeah, the, the second Red Scare was a period of heightened Cold War paranoia turned inward so it wasn't focused on like oh what are the communists doing in korea or in china or in russia or wherever it was really like who is secretly their friend here in the united states like it's it's kind of a a a witch hunt focusing on can we uncover the secret communists 
And they've just had, you know, suspicions turned everywhere as to who was a communist or who had communists or sort of slightly left of center sympathies. Now, let's pretend that maybe despite hosting a fucking podcast, you're not an auditory learner and you kind of forgot what happened in the first Red Scare. What would you say to this very cool, hot person? (laughs) I had on here on my notes. Do we remember what all happened in that one? And the answer is no. (laughs) Clearly not. I thought about listening to today, but I didn't. (laughs) All right. So first Red Scare was when the American ruling class got terrified uh, that a wave of general strikes and racial unrest. Remember, we talked about the Red Summer of 1919. Yeah. Uh, those were like, like happening hand in hand. Uh, this strike wave, uh, a general strike in Seattle and all over. Uh, this newly militarized working class, oppressed minorities who weren't going to take it anymore, who come back from World War One and say, we're actually going to fight now. The ruling class was terrified that this were, th- these were the first symptoms of the Bolshevik Revolution being exported and coming now into America. Okay, okay. I didn't want to guess in case I was wrong, but mentally I was going to guess early 1900s, so I feel like I won an internal victory. Good, good job. Good internal job. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is where they did the Palmer Raids, where they had mass arrests of people without warrants mass deportations this one came to an end when uh hoover friend of the show claimed that a may day uprising was going to happen in 1920 okay he's like the communists are coming they're going to try to take over everything they're doing lenin but here so they said communist revolution about to happen did not happen uh everybody was like oh okay that that was dumb Basically, how would that even happen? Uh, you know, they had just arrested all of the leadership of, <laughs> of like the IWW, the Socialist Party. So I'm picturing like a sheepish 1910s version of Christine, like putting their red flag back in the closet. Like, I guess it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's like when <laughs> I the, was uh, ready for it. the island of misfit toys is like moping around. Another uh, yeah. Christmas alone. <laughs> Another revolution abandoned. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, but I mean, uh, the other way to look at that is the, the brutality of the government's response, like, it kind of worked. I mean, they overreacted for sure, but they did crush the potential for a revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I think that's that's kind of underplayed. It's kind of played up the other way of like, oh, look at them. That's stupid. Like, there weren't communists. Yeah, they were, they were, but they like, you locked them up. But also there weren't, I don't think there were enough to really like do the damn thing so it's kind of like a little bit of both there but that was the first red scare so the second red scare occurs from 1947 to the late 1950s up till the early 1960s it kind of fades away a little gradually i have a question is this the one does it involve like moral panic stuff too like the Hayes code and shit like that or is that more in between well maybe that's 30s or like the comics stuff like they started pulling comics a whole bunch uh, so yeah, that's kind of earlier. They do a bit of like movie code stuff in the second Red Scare in terms of like, you shouldn't depict America as bad. Um, or like, don't, please don't criticize <laughs> like right on that. capitalism um, and stuff oh, like damn. that. that. That's kind of involved. And certainly Hollywood plays a role as well as we'll talk about what the, what, and we have talked about some with the Hollywood blacklist and stuff. Yeah. That's in the second Red Scare. 
for sure. So I guess to get back to its roots, I would sort of trace it back further than just that it kind of starts at the Cold War. I would like kind of posit that first Red Scare as its kind of germ that grows that it grows from. Again, you know, the Bolshevik Revolution basically puts the fear of God into the hearts of the ruling class. You know, they're they're there's an old song called the song of the old communist. And one of the lines he's talking about, you know, how the workers felt when they saw the, you know, the Russian revolution happen and how it felt to see like, you know, your bosses and everyone else like worried, right. Mm. Describes it as like thieves caught out in their crime. <laughs> That's really good. Yeah. They're like, oh. oh shit. Like they figured us out. Like, fuck, I'm next. Right. <laughs> Um, and so, like we said, you know, they, they put out tons of anti-communist propaganda. They brutally crushed the movement. And basically from there through the 20s, you don't have much in mm-hmm. terms of you have some labor agitation, but you don't have like big general strike kind of threats to the system. Government's kind of able to deal with that, you know, piecemeal, make concessions or use force or some combination. It's fine. Then the Great Depression happens and the capitalists basically are worried that 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 was their cue to exit stage left. Like they're done. You know, they're, they're they're like, Oh shit. Like we may be killed. And that's when FDR comes in and is like, you don't like the thought of having your head on a communist pike in Kansas (laughs) or something. So let me save everything. Like, let me do it. Uh, And so that's, that's kind of where in, in the great depression they're coming from is it's kind of this position of capital's weakness you know, its own failure plus people's, you know, not being willing to, to die just because of Wall Street gamblers. It's, it's kind of that, that's where the New Deal is born from. And I think the reason that that works is because labor at that point, labor and the left and the communists and the socialists, and the anarchists, everybody was reduced basically to doing mutual aid and labor organizing. Like that's as much as they had. They were no longer aiming to take down the whole system so much as get stuff for people materially in the short term. And that's, I mean, it makes sense to do that, but there wasn't, I don't think the larger project of taking power. So when this, you know, potentially revolutionary moment hits, they're really just focused on like, can we get stuff and can we get like a seat at the negotiating table to get more stuff? Like, can we help more people? Uh, So that's where you get the new deals, like kind of co-opting of the labor movement and saying like, yeah, we're going to give you recognition. You know, we're going to help you like be more, you know, have more of a say in stuff is because we're not going to give you power, right? You're not going to be in charge. Gotcha. They're handing it out as like a conciliatory prize. Well, yeah. And, and kind of a, a corruption of like, now you're on our team. Like mm-hmm. now when we do good, you're, you do good. And so support us, right? Gotcha. So it kind of blunts the radicalism of the, of the left and everything. And that goes into overdrive in World War II. When the U.S. enters World War II, temporarily the government is like don't please, don't don't ask people about if they were communists or we don't want to know we don't we care we don't care like we need them and they're ardently supportive of us because we're fighting on the side of the only existing socialist state against the <laughs> nazis who want them all dead don't ask too many questions <laughs> so yeah everybody was kind of on board i mean like you know the left was more willing to work with mm-hmm. you know this capitalist government because again it was on the right side yeah you're fighting nazis i get it <laughs> Yeah. So there was this sort of truce throughout World War II in terms of that antagonism. Now, in terms of regular people engaging in labor struggles, that was still happening. Uh, There were lots of strikes during World War II. 
people upset about frozen wages while, you know, record profits from all the war industries and everything are going on. There's yep. like 14,000 strikes during Whoa. World War II. Yeah, more than in any time span in American history, like that equivalent times, you know, that was that was a ton. That's so interesting because, I mean, that's that's so often shown as like we all came together <laughs> like everyone had the same goals. Because that was the message. The unions were on completely on board with the leadership and they were like, yeah, like support it. You know, we sign contracts and you can't strike when you're on this contract. We said so. And, but people were still wildcat striking. The only way this was really kind of band-aided over was that the wartime economy was pumping so hard mm-hmm. that capitalists could basically afford to make a lot of concessions. It's fine. There's more money to slush around. So sure, like it's you know, and, and the union leadership was happy to be like, guys, we got you more pay, successful strike. Let's keep going. Good job, guys. <laughs> yeah, because again, they're not like striking general striking to take over. They just want more stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Which, again, I don't want to fault too much. It's just um, kind no, of a limiting great. of your prospects, you know. But, yeah, that, that's that's the situation they're in. It's, 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 it's very curtailed. And the war was able to kind of paper over the contradictions that were happening. But, obviously, America's not going to be at war forever. Correct? Like, I mean... <laughs> can't do that right no that's unreasonable (laughs) it's not like we're doing that now yeah no we would never well here's where the cold war finally comes into play the united states is looking down the barrel of a post-war recession when world war ii you know which was the reason that we come out of the depression stops when it dries up (laughs) now what what's gonna happen yeah so truman when faced with this says you know what we, we don't we don't have to stop war. Uh, we're going to hype up the Soviet Union. These guys are our new big bad. They're our new terrible enemy that we have to pump all the military expenditures into to fight. We've got to be vigilant, you know, against communists and stuff to keep a good lookout for their agents all over the place. That's kind of where the Cold War steps in, in in its role. Now, I would say it's not from out of nowhere. Right. So so there's he doesn't make it up. Right. It's it's not complete <laughs> bullshit. You guys ever heard of this country, the Soviet Union? You know, like, uh, <laughs> Seems pretty new. I don't think it's going to last. Yeah. There, so there's, you know, obviously widespread anti-communist sentiment that the capitalists and the media and stuff are stoking. But there was also, really, it should be admitted, um, lots of espionage actually going on. The Soviets were, like, doing spy shit. <laughs> It's not the heart of today's subject, but like there, there was a lot of it uh, in, in the 40s. Stuff starts to get kind of uncovered. There's defectors and, and, and kind of turncoat former Communist Party members who go rat to the FBI and say, oh, oh, these people are, you know, they're communists and stuff. So that, I think, fuels the suspicion, fuels the distrust. Hey, this Soviet Union looks like it's our enemy, you know, coupled with the fact that they're communists. So, you know, obviously... They don't like them because they're the ruling class. I know like the Cold War, that's not like our main topic today, but obviously it's an important part of it. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it has been pitched to me (laughs) or positioned as, you know, Russia was the other superpower that came out of World War II. But like when we've talked about it, it's always been like Russia was fucked. Like they were like, hey, all my shit's bombed. All the shit was bombed. Uh, and they weren't getting Big Papa Marshall to come and give him cash. 
Yeah. Like, it seems like they are working with one hand tied behind their back. But, like, it is often portrayed as, like, they were so powerful. <laughs> well, I think it's it's a little bit of both because they, you know, yeah, they did have a shitty situation, but they were doing remarkably well given the hand they were dealt. I mean, That's this true. is a country that got surprise sucker punched invaded you know by the nazis got a big chunk you know probably half of their really densely populated part of their country just gobbled up burnt down uh and they went from that to beating the nazis with a little bit of help from the rest of us yeah and eventually like going to fucking space (laughs) yeah they pumped a war machine up like to, in, in enough to, to beat them back and to start, you know, providing for their people and everything and rebuilding all without our help. Like, it was... That is powerful. Yeah, it's from the American perspective pretty scary that they were able to mobilize that, you know. Yeah, because they had built their, like, industrial strength so much. Like, they, they were equipped to rebuild. Yeah, and the capitalists would look at it and say, and they don't have so many of the restrictions that we have because they can just command their economy to do these things. And they can mm. just say, hey, we're going to build these things and that's it and too bad. It's okay. They don't have to worry about money. a market or, yeah, you know, so that's, that's the other thing is because America did a little bit of that in World War II. You could do kind of a little bit command economy and say, you know, hey, Ford, you're making tanks now. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. You know? If you want to make any money at all, you, you, that's, that's what you're doing. And they got a taste of that and they they're realizing they're not going to get to continue to do that a hundred percent, but Soviets are. So, yeah. you know, that that's, that's like from their perspective, they're, they're, they're a little jealous, you know? Yeah. But yeah, there was also the geopolitical factor. Um, I think it can be argued how much of us antagonism against the Soviet union was. So I always get Americans are usually taught mostly that it's, responding to soviet aggression mm-hmm. right so oh, the soviets they started taking over eastern europe and then they started pushing everywhere and so america was scared that they were going to try to take over the world so that's why they kind of went after them right so i think there's an element of that of that kind of fear i don't think they were so naive as to say oh the soviets are super aggressive every like i mean some people were George Kennan, for example, all, he said, basically, the Soviets are a menace and they're trying to take over everything possible. They want world domination with cool. monolithic, you know, <laughs> this monolithic world communism that's going to d- try to dominate everything. That was his, you know, and certain people believe that. But I think a lot of others were like, well, they're they're a power. They're going to be a powerful country and they're doing things that make sense from their perspective. It just isn't what we would like. <laughs> So that how much of it's governed by that thinking, how much is governed by like seeing them as like really a threat internationally or how much of it's due to the Soviets aiding, for example, anti-imperialist struggles, which had Mm -hmm. already started to happen, you know, and that's against the U.S. interests. And how much was, like we mentioned before, actually just ginned up to keep the military's money machine pumping? Yeah, yeah. And how much was, again, very much like the first Red Scare of, we don't want people thinking that's a viable option. Right. There cannot be an alternative. Like, they are lasting a while now and seem to be doing real well. (laughs) Like, that's probably very scary for them. We keep telling people they're going to fail because they don't have any bosses, but 
Uh, <laughs> Seems like they're doing great, actually. <laughs> it's weird. And they did have bosses, but they could like yell at them. So yeah, yeah, they could fire <laughs> a boss. Hell yes. Yeah. So I don't know. It was interesting. I was reading uh, people's history about this section, and Zen kind of portrayed it as uh, Truman, and and you know, the capitalists said we need a forever war. We're picking one with the Soviet Union. And I, really? I do think that's part of it, but. I don't know if I've just been exposed to the justifications for too long, but like it does make sense that all these military guys and uh, everything, and even the capitalists themselves also want to like continue the imperialist hold. And he talks about that some too, and kind of felt that like stupid risk map sort of, uh, you know, geopolitical, like, Oh, they're going to take over here. So we have to counter them sort of grand strategy playing too much civ sort of mindset. I think they had a little bit of that going on too. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just the money aspect or just the imperialism aspect. Anyway, in, in either way it shakes out, the onset of the Cold War is kind of where the second Red Scare actually starts. Do you want to talk any about like kind of those those initial salvos of the Cold War, like what was happening or spy shit, I assume? Yeah, you know, Eastern Europe, like and 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 Germany and, and Greece and China, those sorts mm. of stuff. Sure. Yeah. Tell me. All right. So, so Eastern Europe, we've talked about, uh, you know, a couple of case studies and thing in, in, in Hungary and whatnot. Uh, but in terms of communist parties coming to power in Eastern European countries that had been liberated by the Soviet Union. All right. That was shaking, you know, America in its boots. You also had the situation in Germany where the Eastern part of Germany that was Soviet occupied become becomes the GDR, you know, and, and the West is just like, no, we're not going to reunify with you because they, you know, you might elect socialists. Uh, <laughs> Too <laughs> so scary. we're going to keep it divided for 50 years. We're just going to hire some Nazis. Is that cool? <laughs> uh, Greece uh, had a, a left wing guerrilla uh, rebellion basically against their, their kingdom slash dictatorship. And the U.S., well, the British and the U.S. both backed the the monarchy there against communist insurgents. This is where Truman came up with his Truman Doctrine and just said, hey, anywhere the communists are doing shit, we're going to show up too. <laughs> we'll Fuck be them. there. <laughs> yeah. China, the loss of China, as the Americans put it, of uh, the nationalists, the corrupt nationalist government of Chiang Kai-shek getting defeated and, and exiled to Taiwan. Mao Zedong coming to power. The loss yeah, yeah, the fall of China or the loss of China. I love that's the loss so, phrase. That's so like imperialist. Like, yeah. <laughs> like we owned that and you took it from us. Like you mm-hmm. didn't. What are What are you doing? Yeah, I mean, the U.S. had had put substantial uh, backing and money and material and everything behind uh, what they call the open door policy in China, uh, which is where they basically kicked the door in uh, and said, "You get, you know, you." are going to trade with us. You're going to trade with everybody. No country is going to take over any part of this. We're not dividing it up into little chunks so the French can have theirs. No, this is free trade, bitch. You are giving us money. We are giving you opium. Well, the British were giving them opium, but still. You're going <laughs> but to be, we will help them. Yeah, you know, you're subservient to us. You're ours. And so wow. then, yeah, when you do have a revolution against this corrupt nonsense, then, oh, we lost it. I mean, that's really similar to what happened in, in Japan and like, what was that? Probably late 1800s, maybe when yeah. they like open Japan. Like it's such a gross term to use when it's like, yeah. no, you fucking showed up and like had guns and said, sell me shit or else. 
Yeah, that was Commodore Matthew Perry. That's uh, it. No relation. Uh, <laughs> well, big influence on the Impressionists, because they really like those Japanese block prints. To, well, yeah, I mean, they can't be blamed. They're cool. It's not their fault. I'm not saying <laughs> Van Gogh's imperialist is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Canceled. Cancel Van Gogh. <laughs> so, yeah, those are, I mean, I don't want to get into too much, but that's kind of like the the, the world, that's world politics sort of things. Lots of people going communist. Everyone back home is like, oh, shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, I should say at least the ruling class, right? Not everyone. Let's be real. Yeah. 1940s Christine is putting on some great red lipstick and being like, this is sick. <laughs> you got one of those dresses with like the polka dots or whatever. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I could do that. I could do a pointy bra or something. We were, I was thinking, so like, I don't know. Do you ever finish recording? and You're like, man, I missed a great joke. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was me last week. Cause I was sick. And so like my brain wasn't there till like two days later. And so mm-hmm. I was like, damn, I could have said some funny shit. But my, my main funny shit was you were saying that like <laughs> we're returning to like Charles Dickens times. And I was like, man, I would look sick in like one of those Gibson girl hairstyles. <laughs> <laughs> like the big poof, you know, that'd be so fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I was like, just lounging about dying of food poisoning from corrupt industrial practices. I would look great. I assume that, yeah, in Victorian times, there was just different stuff in the water or whatever to where I could probably like grow facial hair and get like mutton chops. That's what I Oh, maybe, maybe. Or a mutton stash. I think it's just because we're mixed, man. Could be just the native blood. I think so. Well, fine. I'll wear like a top hat and some steampunk goggles or something. I mean, I want my leg hair to grow in more and it just won't. But you got it all, I guess. You stole it from me. But I only have leg hair. I don't have any arm hair. People yeah. are like, do you shave your arms? No. Why would no. I do this? <laughs> I'm just smooth. <laughs> uh, all right. Anyway, <laughs> grooming aside. Uh, so one of the real big bads of the second Red Scare is friend of the show, J. Edgar Hoover, head of the FBI. Looks great in a dress, I hear. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was he was a baddie in that sense. <laughs> trans rights. No, he doesn't get any trans rights. <laughs> he doesn't. Yeah. Uh, he's like the only person who doesn't deserve them. He doesn't. I mean, I guess he just doesn't deserve human rights for not being very human. <laughs> no, not at all. He's like entitled to trans rights. But since he doesn't have human rights, he doesn't get, you know, can't it's like it a square out. rectangle thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah. By the point of the onset of the Cold War, he had been bitching to the president about communists in the government for a while. Communists in the government and business in Hollywood everywhere, behind every curtain. Mm-hmm. Communists. But the president was FDR, and FDR was like, that's funny. Edgar, come on. Uh, let's <laughs> Chill know, out. Go, go do something else. I have things to do. Did not care. He distracted them with like a new pair of heels or something. Like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you go try these on? Yeah. It's not till Truman is in office that the White House starts to take Hoover's reports of communists behind every curtain more seriously. The interesting question arises, why Truman? Is it something, you know, in his innate nature or something? The big thing actually is political. In the 1946 midterm elections, these are the first ones that he faces once he's president. Uh, the Democrats just get walloped. They get knocked around, dragged around. Uh, they lose like 12 seats. And one of the big campaign issues that the Republicans wouldn't shut up about uh, was their accusations that Truman 
and the Democratic Party were soft on communism and were letting communists infiltrate the government. It's groomers, man. Like, they found a new thing to yell about. Like, that's all they do. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what they were doing then is, hey, these guys are all over the place. Let's make up an issue to scare everyone. <laughs> it was different based on who you listen to. You're run-of-the-mill conservative Republican. Back then, you actually do have to specify conservative Republicanism because you do have liberal Republicans as well. Weird. But the conservatives, they were saying, you know, yeah, the Democrats, they're, they're incompetent, man. They're just letting these communists in. They're, they're asleep at the wheel is kind of the, you know, metaphor they would use. Uh, your crazier John Birch Society types would say that they were in on it or that they were communists themselves. Pizzagate. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> either way, they were out there stoking <laughs> the flames of fear and it was working. So, yeah, you're going to draw a lot of similarities, I think, from then and now. <laughs> oh, it's almost like inflammatory media gets you more attention. Weird. <laughs> well, the correct you know, response to that, of course, is to give in completely and just Im- mimic your opponents, right? Obviously. That's what Truman does. Two weeks after the election, <laughs> he establishes the Temporary Commission on Employee Loyalty, uh, which was basically is this group of representatives from six government departments. They worked under special assistant to the Attorney General, Devitt Vanetch, who was one of Hoover's lackeys. And what they're doing, this committee, uh, they're kind of figuring out, okay, how are we going to prove that everybody's loyal in the government? So on their recommendation, in March of 1947, Truman signs Executive Order 9835, requiring all federal civil service employees to be screened for loyalty. Listeners, your only employee loyalty metric should be to your fellow employees. Yeah. (laughs) Solidarity. You don't owe your boss your job anything. No. But yeah, it's really stupid because he goes all out with this shit and it's just for a political reason. I mean, he was just trying to steal the issue of anti-communism back from the Republicans. Wow. He even like wrote one of the governor, governor of Pennsylvania. He said, uh, people are very much wrought up about the communist bugaboo, but I am of the opinion that the country is perfectly safe. So far as communism is concerned, we have too many sane people. (laughs) Bugaboo. It's a great term. We need to bring that back. Yeah. (laughs) So he didn't even believe what he was doing. But he's That's like, insane. I, yeah, he's just like, I'm just doing this for show. Yeah. So, you know, screen for loyalty. It allowed the FBI to snoop into the associations and beliefs of all two million federal employees uh, and report back those findings to loyalty boards that all the government departments would set up. And then they do like uh, an investigation, confidential witnesses, all this stuff. And they could fire employees if reasonable doubt existed about their loyalty. Okay, listeners, I am prepping for a future episode about surveillance capitalism, and you don't want to know how easy it would be to do any of this today. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right. Question arises. What was disloyal, right? So what does that even categorize as? How fast does Christine get fired? Well, you can tag yourself. (laughs) Sabotage, espionage, treason, sedition. I've talked about all those things. Or advocacy thereof. <laughs> Fuck. Okay, they yeah, got that's me. That's where they get us. All right. What else? Intentionally disclosing confidential info. No one gives me that stuff no, anyway. No. Advocating the violent overthrow of the U.S. government. Oops. God damn it. 
uh, membership in, affiliation with, or sympathetic associations with any bad organization. Okay, they got us on three counts. We're pretty pretty fucked. Yeah, disloyal. 1940s Christine is cheapishly hiding their stuff. They are disloyal <laughs> AF. Uh, okay, well, what's in a bad organization, right? Well, the order also set up the Cool Kids list, a.k.a. the Attorney General's list of subversive organizations. Sick. This is places you really want to check out. Uh, mostly. So Uh-oh. it was mostly left wing, but they also, you know, put the Klan and you know, right wing groups on there too. So. <laughs> <laughs> They're all cool kids. Yeah, guys. yeah. Don't don't go see the whole list. Just yeah. ask a friend to take you around. Yeah, you need a guide. Yeah. This actually built off an earlier list called the Biddle List, which Attorney General Francis Biddle back in the day in like the forties, nineteen forty one started tracking subversive far-right, far-left front organizations, secretly communist or secretly Nazi or what have you. Uh, but it added a whole bunch more to that, and up, it kind of updated over time as, as they you know, figured out, oh, that's, you know, we think that's linked to the communists or whatever. So that was their, their kind of list of bad organizations. Now, they wouldn't tell people at the time how they figured out you know, the groups to put on the list. What was their research methodology, anything like that? But what they actually did, it turns out, is just they called the FBI and asked for a list. And the FBI said, They're oh, like, we here's, already here's, had one. Yeah, here's our list of assholes. <laughs> so they didn't do any of their own research. No. Oh, my gosh. So you end up with, you know, sure, yeah, the Communist Party, the Ku Klux Klan. But you also end up with the Chopin Cultural Center, the Cervantes Fraternal Society. Like Chopin, the, the piano guy? Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. I love Chopin. Uh, the Committee for the Protection of the Bill of Rights, like, oof, terrible. What? Like, yeah, don't want, <laughs> pr- don't please don't protect the Bill of Rights. Yeah, please. That's so communist of you to protect the Bill of Rights. I hate when you do that. <laughs> uh, the Nature Friends of America. Nature? Nature, yeah, Nature Friends. Nature like is communism. Druids. Um, yeah. And a cool, like, bookshop kind of thing called the Washington Ooh. Bookshop Association, which was kind that of a left-wing, great. like, bookstore, sort of. Hell yeah. Yeah, it sounded cool. Yeah, next time I go to D.C., I'm going to hit that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so at its height, the list had 154 organizations, 110 of which were communist. So definitely slanted in that direction. But okay, that's fine. I mean, it's tough to work for the federal government handling top-secret shit, you know, wrong. A, it covers all federal employees, not just the ones handling top secret shit. And B, it quickly went beyond just the federal government. State and local governments got in on it, too. Okay. So even if it were just federal government, you're saying every single, like, like my post person could be like, yeah. you're a communist, no more delivering mail. Yeah. Whoa. Anybody in the federal government. Like the DMV person, like, that's state, Well, I guess. so that's state, yeah, but... But still, eventually... Yeah, so state and local governments, the military, defense contractors, all kind of an out, outgrowth of government, sure. Uh, but it also started to spread to the private sector, too. Mm. Was it originally, like, private sector people who handled government contracts? I think that's its initial spread, but pre- pretty quickly people didn't want to be associated with the ne- possible negative press of saying, mm. oh, this guy's a communist and he works for you. Mm, I bet newspapers had it pretty bad, huh? Yeah. Uh, I mean, this was, depending on the company, um, some of them hired like third parties that 
that maintained their own lists kind of based off of this plus extra research and stuff. They were like investigating all over the place. And so they could, they'd put your, you know, employees through the ringer either before you hired them or the ones you already hired check to make sure and guarantee, you know, none of these people will be subversive because we've checked them. I called in sick once when we had like an active shooter drill at work. I would call in sick on the day I knew the communist guy was coming to interview me. (laughs) 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 Or the anti-communist guy. Yeah. Communist guy might show up. I would, I would ask him out to lunch, but what's up, man. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe that's a ruse though. Like that. That's they how they get that, you. Yeah, they're like, hey, is there well, this cool guy, Marks? <laughs> that's very true. We'll get to that in a bit. Um, Uh-oh. So by December 1952, some 6.6 million people had been investigated Shit. throughout the country. They didn't find anyone through this screening process. Uh, they didn't find anybody that did any sabotage. They did dismiss about 500 people for quote-unquote questionable loyalty. Because the requirements were so broad as to like it's not like you you know being caught obviously you know doing spy shit or actively planning to overthrow the government right sure they never caught anyone on they never caught anyone doing that yeah that's insane so they're just firing people for their beliefs or even just suspected beliefs (laughs) yeah their membership in any of these parties or their affiliation with it so they're like Like your husband or something or well a lot of times it's meant that people signed a petition now Looking Mm. at this list of things, of these communist front organizations, some of them are directly affiliated with the Communist Party, but don't sound like it. Um, Like, uh, let me pull one up. Like that sick Chopin club I got to check out. (laughs) Right. Uh, Let me see. But um, American Peace Mobilization. uh, American Youth for Democracy. Those sound good. We should have both of those things. What else? Sounds very innocuous, but they're like, no, this is National Committee to Win the Peace. That sounds fine. <laughs> the, the Photo League of America. Like, so if someone comes to your door and like is doing a petition for something, uh-huh. and they're just like, oh, I'm from the Council on African Affairs. You're not like communist. I'm not signing your petition, right? You just yeah, listen to yeah. them and you agree or disagree and you sign it or not. So you don't even really have to be a member. That's what the thing is. Damn. Okay. But also, yeah, from these seemingly innocuous organizations. Right. You, and then you're like, oh, uh, you're shit, like, yeah, I don't I'm know. Pro-peace. <laughs> yeah. It sounded nice. So <laughs> it was just so broad and it was countrywide too. And, and the FBI chipped in a little bit to kind of do their, do their part. Oh, yeah. They had something called the responsibilities program. Uh, so from 1951 to 1955, they anonymously gave evidence from FBI files uh, of communist affiliations that they, you know, dug up. And again, it can be like mm. this sort of stuff that we were saying. Yeah, like yeah. The, the petitions and whatnot uh, <laughs> of teachers, lawyers, other professionals. Uh, just they would just give their boss like their FBI file on them. And like, did you know this wow. guy like has this communist link? And this led to lots of terminations for just regular working people. Anytime you do this sort of like you know let's call it what it is it's a purge for as much as we get shit about not talking about purges let's talk about purges because yeah that's what this, this is, is the the second red purge yeah Just start like, calling them purges yeah i think you have to ask the question like how far does it go of like you said you know on some level i can see okay we're all rah-rah america you know fuck the Soviet Union, you probably want that kind of attitude within, like, 
the military. <laughs> so you're all on the same page. Or, you know, you could even say, like, top levels of the government. But then you start expanding it out to, like, lawyers and teachers and just, like, regular-ass people. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, they're not contractually <laughs> obligated by what they do to support America's foreign policy or really governmental policy. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's terrifying, though, because, I mean, with teachers, you see it happening again today. With librarians, you see it happening again today where, like, there is this idea of, like, holding them to some standard. Ideologically. Yes. And it's real fucking gross. That's crazy. I don't know. I, I'm lucky in the sense that I just I don't feel a lot of scrutiny in that regard. But I read a lot about teachers in circumstances where they face that where they feel that they face that and that sucks you know and i feel like i should face more of it being in texas but just where <laughs> i'm at i don't so yeah like, okay i'll <laughs> i'm not out there telling people i'm a communist or something but still <laughs> uh, yeah and that's the thing like i think good teachers know it's not their job to proselytize like that's not you know, in either direction, it's like, I'm going to give you some knowledge. And like, yeah, I'll admit some of the knowledge is tainted with the cultural, like water that we're in. Mm -hmm. But like, hopefully, they're exposed to enough teachers and enough perspectives that they're able to form their own opinions, probably later because they're kids. Yeah. And you don't even like, you can just set it up like you don't have to the, capitalism sucks and communism doesn't. So just teaching <laughs> them stuff. Slants them if they think about it eventually you know or it like plants a seed for them to be slanted eventually because like you're on the good side is today adam do a reading we were talking about the 1920s so kind of in the in the first red scare kind of times i had him read eugene debs's uh mm. speech to the court when he gets yeah. convicted on the alien and sedition acts where he kind of expounds on the great things about socialism and stuff like that and where he's comes from from a worker's perspective all that and then i had him read uh a. Mitchell Palmer, that's the guy that did the Palmer raids, uh, his justification for doing that. And he's like, you know, the Reds are around every corner. They're trying to destroy this country, blah, blah, blah. And just answer questions about each one. And at the end, compare, like, who do you think wealthy Americans supported? Who do you think working people supported? Who do you support? Who sounded cooler? And that's not, I didn't add anything to that. I just put the questions just on there. Questions. And it's just like, there it questions. is, you know. You just set them up. Here's one guy. Here's one guy. Who do you like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, back to our very first episode, like if you put it in neutral enough terms, you know, you take away, you not even just take away, but even the playing field, I guess, between, mm -hmm. you know, scary rhetoric and, and, you know, more down to earth rhetoric, like you can let students see past that and go like, oh, that actually sounds pretty sick. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'd love to share. That'd be fine. Sharing's sure. cool, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Kindergarten communism. Hell yeah. Nap times for everybody. <laughs> I, I am on board. I am already <laughs> living the kindergarten communist lifestyle. Uh, I know this whole project of anti-communism just makes me think, like, if communism is so obviously bad and capitalism is so obviously good, you're working really, really, really hard to prove that point. Like, why do you have to do so much active suppression of it? <laughs> yeah. It's like, if, you know, if uh, it is such a terrible thing, why does it always require, like, getting knocked off by the CIA or military invasion when it happens in other countries, you know? 
Yeah, like, seems pretty cool. Seems like a lot of people come to it on their own over and over and over again. <laughs> or, yeah, the, huh. the domino theory thing of, like, well, if, if it starts to happen in one country, then all the other countries It'll are going to start over. doing it's it, too. It's so cool. How could they not? <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like, like, wow, way to you really guys, call yourself out. Y'all use the same analogy, sort of, when you're like, you know, well, if everyone else is jumping off a cliff or, you know, fitting in and trying to be cool, it's like, you're acknowledging that it's something that people want to copy and do. Like, <laughs> that's really dumb. Uh, admitted losers. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of the very early onset of the second Red Scare. Uh, but then quickly you have a fun group step in to do their worst which is HUAC. House Un-American Committee? Yeah, House Un-American Activities Committee. They do Activities. Kind of, U is Un-American, even though it's hyphenated. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It does both. But yeah, they want to know about your Un-American activities. You know, so I was going to say, the like House a, Un-American Act Committee, I feel like I'm the head of that, you know. <laughs> it's just all <laughs> the just like me. least patriotic house members <laughs> yeah totally like they just stand the for the morning pledge club. and they're just like fuck you fuck this. <laughs> now we're gonna burn the flag <laughs> uh somehow they were elected to house of representatives <laughs> it's really weird yeah so one of their first great efforts was to go after those pinko commies in hollywood uh-oh holly weird what are they doing over there Again, more parallels, right? Jeez, yeah, That's, right? Like, let's go uh, after the, the liberal media. <laughs> yeah. It's been happening Ugh. for years. Um, Icky. We're not going to dwell too much on the Hollywood blacklist because we have talked about this kind of at length mm-hmm. uh, in the Trumbo episode. But the short story uh, is a guy named William R. Wilkerson published in his magazine, The Hollywood Reporter, a column where he accused various Hollywood figures of being communist sympathizers hell yeah i'd go see all their movies twice (laughs) well (laughs) instead huac was like what and um, (laughs) what's wrong with that like why (laughs) well the cold war hysteria says being a communist sympathizer means you're a potential soviet intelligence agent you are if it comes down to it, and it was very likely to come down to it because you're doing like duck and cover drills in schools, it's very likely to come down to a shooting war with the Soviet Union. And if it comes down to that, whose side are they going to be on? Okay. Okay. Right? So it's not so much. I mean, I think it, the end result is more of like a, a ruling by fear of like get on our fucking side ideologically. But maybe their surface reason is you are a threat. It's not like. It's not like they're going up to actors and being like, you're influencing us to be communist. It's it's more like we see you as a threat, in like in the espionage sense. Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I do think that there is partially this uh, idea that, especially writers and stuff, not so much actors, but um, would subtly insert and corrupt the youth with, you know, pro-communist messages or whatever. In, what cool writers do I need to read is, is what I want to know. Right? <laughs> So HUAC says, oh, no, you know, we're going to try to force these guys, these 10 writers and directors to testify, name names, you know, explain their own ties, that sort of thing. Well, they refused. They were cited for contempt. And then the Motion Picture Association of America comes out and says they're fired and we're not going to hire them uh, until they 
swear an oath of loyalty that they're not communists. Okay, so this is like the Trumbo shit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Hollywood 10. Did they use kind of similar tactics, like, from their other work? Or, like, they probably got some non-communists caught in the mix, too? Probably. I mean, like, there it was... Mm. If it's such a loose association, you'd, you'd imagine they'd have to. Yeah, like, some people were just communist party members or former. But some people were what you would call a fellow traveler. I mean, they're not literally communists, but they just, you know, had a lot they of communist vibe. friends and were kind of like They go to the same parties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was definitely was a broad brush they were painting with. The industry started the blacklist here, basically. They swore not to employ communists or other subversives. And over the years, that expanded uh, with the help of the FBI and HUAC and right-wing groups who were publishing pamphlets just with more and more accusations of these people are communists. These, you know, add them to your list. Uh, there was also what they call a gray list, which just meant you weren't specifically like outed, put on a list of you're a communist. Nevertheless, these people were denied work by major studios. So somebody knew something about, you know, or suspected them in some way and cut them out of the loop. But it wasn't really official written down anywhere. These are the bottom of your hiring list. Right. Yeah. And that remained in effect until the end of the second Red Scare and kind of in the late 50s era. Wait, so how long is that? Like a 10 year thing of like, fuck, you no work? Uh, yeah, just about. Wow, that sucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, so the the great list also with major studios, you weren't shut out from what they called Poverty Row or B-list, B-movies sort of thing. Mm, okay. So you could still make Everyone sort of a made living. communist monster flicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was a commie from Planet 7. <laughs> I love it. Would watch. Yeah, so Hueck, not very good. Uh, next on their agenda was espionage. <laughs> okay. Uh, in 1948, they brought in turncoat former communists Elizabeth Bentley and Whitaker Chambers, who kind of pioneered the fedora hat guy look. Ooh. Um, but, like, not in a good way, like in the neckbeard sort of way, you know, oh, lady okay, sort of way. Okay. He just looks like an asshole. I mean, it's the 40s, so fedora is like, I feel like that's the only time you're allowed to wear a fedora. If he weren't Whitaker Chambers, I think he would have looked cool in it. But. <laughs> but this guy sucks. Okay. Him and Elizabeth Bentley, who was both of them former Communist Party members that just kind of lose heart in it, lose, you know, they, they're like, uh, this sucks now. Why? Why did they do that? So in his case, Chambers seems to lose his way the way he tells it is in, in with stalin uh with with the great purges mm. that he sees one of his fellow soviet spies from switzerland who broke with stalin like end up getting killed one of his fellow spies in the u.s ends up vanishing shortly after visiting moscow so he's kind of like worried about that and thinking they're going to come for him next and he's, he is he, a spy yeah and oh, he fun. keeps okay. like he keeps like refusing to travel to Moscow. They keep asking him to go, but he think he keeps thinking he's going to get purged. So he's like, "This is my only way out." Uh, Which like probably doesn't help. Like him refusing, they're like, "That's pretty sus." <laughs> right. <laughs> so that, I think that's that angle to it. He's an odd one. I know that Bentley's thing was that her uh, husband was killed, and 
they're like, oh, that's you know, that really sucks, but like you need to keep spying. You know, <laughs> sorry, you, you can't just you, know, you can't just give up. And she that pissed her off. Then she ends up like either some some guy comes to her and and she thinks he's either an FBI or Soviet spy agent. So she's just confused in that regard. Ends up going to the FBI and then just get, kind of gets trapped into being like, well, okay, shit. Uh, I have to rat to you guys now, I guess, because <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. So Fuck, okay. These fucking rats. Yeah. Uh, they both suck in any case. Yeah, Regardless of how they got there. They make lots of allegations about government workers being part of a secret communist spy network. How much is that them trying to save their own ass? Well, that's one thing you got to look at is that a lot of times people who are in that confidential informant or we're going to reduce your prison sentence situation, like that should be taken with somewhat of a grain of salt. But some of their allegations kind of, they bear out. So one of the biggest trials from this is the trial of Alger Hiss, uh, who was a government worker. He actually had lots of different positions in the Roosevelt administration. Uh, One of his high points is being the head of the convention that created the UN Charter oh, in damn. 1945. Yeah, when they go to HUAC, Chambers, Whitaker Chambers accused him of being in the Ware Group, which was this like secret ring of spies that he was recruiting people. I'm picturing spelled like werewolf. Like, ha <laughs> <laughs> ha you know, It was like he's, silver he's wear, you know, but. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> government workers by day, communist spies by night. Also werewolves. <laughs> When Huack brought him in, his first said, I don't know who the fuck Chambers is. What's this guy lying on me for? But Chambers basically put him on blast and gave a bunch of details about Hiss's life. And Hiss was like, okay, all right. Yeah, I knew this guy <laughs> under a different name. <laughs> and ultimately, in, in the course of talking there, there wasn't real evidence to convict him of anything espionage-wise at that time. Like, they didn't think they could. Uh, but the main problem was that even though it was inconclusive, they were like, we, we probably could bring him to trial. We might could get it. But the statute of limitations on when they said he was doing espionage was too far back. Ah, okay. So the only thing they could put him up on was charges of perjury for that testimony saying basically, Oh, you lied. So that's what they did. They found him guilty. They sentenced him to five years in prison and it was this big controversy. I mean, there was a big split. Anyone really not even leftist, but left of center was kind of not left of center, but left of like your regular, regular Democrats. Right. And even some Democrats were like, this is messed up. Like this guy's getting unfairly treated. This is a stretch. This is not proven. And he denied it for the rest of his life. So even like one of the few people they quote unquote caught still very suspicious, you know, like not, not a shut, you know, open and closed case, not an open and closed case, but, it did. There was a lot of evidence that came out later. Uh, in 1995, okay. we had declassified files from what was called the Venona Project, uh, which is where U.S. counterintelligence uh, cracked Soviet codes for a while. Oh, uh, shit. During World War II, they were in such a shortage that they did the cardinal sin of cryptography, which is to reuse a one-time pad. Oh, no. Gotta change your codex, y'all. Yeah, the the... the <laughs> Factory that put those out, put out duplicates because they were just like, fuck, get these out before the Germans show up. And that allowed American cryptography to crack their code for a little bit. Got to get that Enigma machine or whatever. Yeah, well, that would do 
Yeah, I guess so. I think that's the one that decodes or <laughs> that does random imprints. shit, right? Yeah. I can't remember which one is the the code coder and which one is the decoder the code <laughs> from breaker, that movie yeah. with <laughs> Pointy Boy Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> Same. Uh, but from 1943 to 1948, and mainly from 43 to 45, they were able to capture and, and decode a lot of the stuff. And then they were able to work on that, work on decoding that pile of stuff that they collected. Was this guy doing some stuff? Yeah, so they seem to implicate that Hiss was a Soviet spy. Some people still dispute it. To me, it, it at least leans on, I don't think I would convict him maybe, but it does lean on that he probably was one. Wow, interesting. Okay, so this, they kind of they got one guy. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they, but see, and and then you're especially like your liberal types should really be like, yeah, but they didn't get him because they didn't really they didn't. prove it. You know, no, they didn't prove it at the time. Like they got him on perjury. Like that's a secondary charge. Like mm-hmm. I've been getting into Roswell lately. <laughs> that's the journey <laughs> I'm on in my life. <laughs> And I find conspiracy theories really fascinating right now. I don't know. My husband's obsessed with, with UAPs. And so now now I'm in the rabbit hole. It's super fun. I don't sleep a lot. Uh, <laughs> What's the uh, UAP? It's an unidentified aerial phenomenon. Mm. It's just UFO, but government fancy talk. Yeah. That's what they're calling it now. Yeah. Yeah. UFO has a lot of baggage, obviously. What's interesting about that is like there's such obviously a proliferation of of Roswell conspiracy theories of alien conspiracy theories like those kinds of things like if you think about kind of your classic conspiracy theory veins they are there's usually a lot of stuff I'm not going to say evidence but there's lots of stuff you know there's lots of material and with like I've never heard of you know someone coming up and be like did you know like we actually had all these communists in America <laughs> like it was real you know like mm-hmm. that just that's so far fetched like they did such a bad job that like very, there's probably very few guys who are just like yeah totally <laughs> I bought right. it I bought all of it right you can't buy all of it like I think the Venona stuff is way more damning than people would think you know it's like oh there was some truth to this but even then it's not most people that they accused. Yeah, yeah. Like, you don't see it in the cultural memory as something that was effective or, you know, had its roots in a lot of truth. Like, yeah, you it's do not the get, JFK assassination, right? It's not like yeah, most people yeah. saying something was up there, but we don't know. <laughs> you do get like spy culture as a whole from a, as a result, you know, like the proliferation of spy novels and James Bond and that kind of stuff, like even like the fucking, you know, spy versus spy show and like the boris and natasha kind of thing mm-hmm. but that felt more cartoonish maybe yeah. or or it's more, more well, like more actiony is the thing like so you don't yeah. have spy stuff about like a government a government worker. worker yeah like this teacher is undercover right and <laughs> that's her real what... name isn't natalie it's natalia <laughs> <laughs> and that's yeah that's where the second the second uh, red scare was was at its height of like just accusing regular ass people or you know, even kind of government officials and stuff, but nobody with a sexy ass job <laughs> being spies, right? Like normal, boring looking people being spies. And that's, we definitely didn't get that because everyone's like, that's stupid. Like why, why should we be afraid of boring people? At best, you got some people who didn't agree with you in trouble. Like way to go, asshole. <laughs> yeah. HUAC was doing that. They also published a lot of pamphlets that they sent out to the public, millions of them. Uh, 100 Things You Should Know About Communism. 
Oh, I want to read that. One of the facts there was, where can communists be found? Everywhere. Under your bed. In the closets. <laughs> in yeah, tree. that would have been a good graphic for it. It's like a little guy like, <laughs> peeking from yeah, under the like bed. Yeah, just like some eyes poking out. <laughs> they have like hammer and sickles in the peoples. <laughs> totally, totally. Everywhere. Uh, oh, yes. Do you think by fact, like 98, they're like, they're bad. They're really bad. No, for real. <laughs> like they ran out of fun facts. Yeah. They just started making shit up. Like, did you know all communists are left-handed? <laughs> <laughs> but not all left-handed people are communists. Yeah, I gotta check first. <laughs> the, the thing is, you know, it's really outlandish stuff. And it's like, who could be in support of this? Really, it should be only your die-hard right-wingers. But by 1958, only one House member voted against giving HUAC funding. It was like an institutional thing. That's so crazy that like everyone was just like, we're fine. We're fine with investigating citizens on their beliefs. Like, that's cool. Yeah, no, no problem there. Ugh, I mean, see the Patriot Act. We're still fine with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the courts got in on the action. In 1949, the government went after the Communist Party of the United States, the CPUSA, uh, in what were called the Smith Act Trials. This is where they put 11 communist leaders on trial in New York for violating the Smith Act, which is a 1940 law that made it illegal to advocate for the violent overthrow of the government. Okay, Smith, way to come at me. <laughs> I see you. <laughs> so the defendants argued, hey, we're not that kind of communist. We're peaceful communists. We want a peaceful transition to socialism. But the government said, no, you're communists. Communists, you know, you're for a violent revolution. You're a communist, therefore you're violent. I mean, if they had listened to our show from the future, they would know. That's not necessarily true. You've got reformist communists. Yeah. I mean, and then if they listen to us now, maybe they're like, we're kind of like, uh, they're kind of communist. <laughs> <You know, laughs> we're a little more critical, maybe, but no, I mean, there, there's for sure variety. We don't want to call you out because, you, you know, we're squeamish ourselves to some degree. Yeah, I'm a wuss. <laughs> anyway, they were not really going like in the court and being like, listen here, this asshole said he was going to like shoot up this place or so. You know, they were not like giving any. There wasn't anything tangible. Nothing that they did or even said. What they were using was like old communist. Lit they were just like, look at this pamphlet by Marx where he talks about like the revolution. These guys are communists just like Marx. They're just going off a of theory. Yeah. Yeah. They were just like. <laughs> They support this theory, and this theory says revolution, so they're bad. Now, that's not all they had. They also had friends in the FBI who were informants who had infiltrated oh. the CPUSA. Oh, no. So, this was particularly disastrous. They, you know, because this testimony or whatever, it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to, like, say, yeah, we were there, like, trying to bomb stuff or, you know. It's just like, yeah, sure, they read that pamphlet, you know, and that's enough. Uh, but, but. They're, them being there was really disastrous too. So the whole thing, they get convictions Ugh. on all 11 communists, send no. them to prison. Uh, they went after more than a hundred more second tier communists, uh, like lower ranking guys. Uh, I'm definitely a second tier. <laughs> I'm like a fourth tier. Communist. Yeah, seriously. I'm the practice squad communists. Uh, <laughs> JV, I'm going to try out for varsity <laughs> next year, but I don't think I have a good chance. Yeah. Uh, so they went on a few more trials of these guys. Eventually, these were overturned by the Supreme Court. But I, I think I would emphasize that the convictions 
and the widespread FBI infiltration really decimated the party. Why did the Supreme Court turn it over? Uh, in the late 50s, I think it was 57, they started to reverse those decisions. Just because they're like, that wasn't cool, like freedom-wise? Or- uh, they got two new justices, uh, Earl Warren. Communists. Turned out to be, <laughs> well, yeah, depending on who you listen to on the, co- on the yeah, radical Jesus. conservative side, communist for sure. No, just like a liberal. And uh, Brennan, I want to say the other guy was Brennan, who ended up being a liberal too. Both Eisenhower appointees, but he didn't know they were going to be liberal, I guess. Uh, anyway, without leadership and with the now knowledge that there were a bunch of FBI informants, the Communist Party is kind of just left wondering, trying to figure out. They do kind of their own witch hunt of like, who the hell is an informant here, you know, trying to get people. Uh, distrust everywhere and you know what's the fbi can do with that COINTELPRO pro shit right they're gonna say hey let's plant some evidence on this guy oh look he was a communist oh, you know and, okay and you kind of frame you're basically framing people you know you're, you're making it look like they are working with you when they're not they started doing that you know cpusa just went after itself and they were they were crippled at that point uh some other trials of this era that really heightened the Red Scare paranoia uh, were the cases of Klaus Fuchs and the Rosenbergs. Oh, I've heard of the Rosenbergs. The Fuchs case you may have heard of if you've watched Oppenheimer. I did not. Because he was, he's this British, well, no, he's German, but he, he ends up getting put on trial in Britain because he was a theoretical physicist. He was also like a communist from, he was a communist back in Germany. Yeah, yeah, the OGs. Yeah, like he was in, First, the Social Democratic Party, and then the Communist Party, and fled during World War II. But he was working on the Manhattan Project, passes some information for that on to the Soviets, gets sentenced in Britain to 14 years. He ends up, once he's served enough of his time, uh, getting to migrate to the GDR. So, at least he got a happy ending. Yeah. But that kind of heightens suspicions of like, oh, there's fucking atomic spy stuff happening. That was the year after... The Soviets test the bomb in 1949 way faster than people thought they would. And then, mm-hmm. you know, they start putting the dots together. Like, okay, that was also faster than we think they should have been able to. <laughs> like, wait a minute. How'd you guys do that? It's like when a kid uh. turns in their test and the kid right beside him, like, gets up right after to turn there. in. like, <laughs> hey, that guy probably finished wow. on time. But I know you should have taken you longer. <laughs> I love that. You really got to strategize that shit. <laughs> Uh, then in 1951, he had the case of Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. Yeah, what was their deal? I mean, they were actually guilty, right? We we discovered this later. Yeah, they're another Venona project find. It does seemingly confirm, and I think a little stronger than it does with Alger Hiss. Alger Hiss, there's still debate a little bit. Alger Hiss sounds like a very fancy snake with a top hat. The name's Alger. Alger Hiss. Alger Hiss. <laughs> <laughs> little monocle yeah oh. but the rosenbergs we it does basically say that they were um yeah okay what they do so they were convicted of espionage uh the biggest part of it was that julius rosenberg re- apparently recruited sources on the manhattan project and then passed Ooh. nuclear secrets to the soviets that's like the top espionage you could do i feel like yeah it's i mean that's that's a pretty that's a home run basically they maintained their innocence the whole way, but were convicted and executed by the electric chair. Lots and Damn. lots of people were speaking up on their behalf and trying to get them freed and stuff like that. Yeah. Spared at least execution. Um, they were offered 
to be spared execution if they would confess and name names. Uh, and they refused. Good for them. So, yeah, pretty brave move there. Uh, yeah, and you know what? So they fucking did it. I mean, the U.S. probably would have wiped the Soviets off the map if they could, if they didn't have the bomb. So they probably saved a lot of Soviet lives, you know? Honestly, yeah. Like, if you have this much fear being ginned up and you are the only country to have used an atomic bomb, like, that's pretty fucking dangerous for the Soviets. Yeah. So that was, that's another one that people, oh, no, no, spies, shit, uh the government started passing all these laws. So in 1950, you had uh, the McCarran Internal Security Act. The McCarran is where you go for, for a burger that you want just right. Yeah. <laughs> you make it your way. Feel free to bitch at us if we get it wrong. Yes, yes. It's the pickiest <laughs> burger place. It takes forever to get service. Yeah, they have like one employee that they hire just specifically to listen to your complaints as to why it's taking so long. Yeah, there's like a regular cashier and then there's like a stage cashier. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the McCarran. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm complaining about it. Uh, it required communist organizations and their members to register with the federal government. That's not good. Especially, it's especially not good, given the fact that, according to the Smith Act, being a part of a organization that advocates violent overthrow of the government is illegal. So you're just required to tell on yourself. <laughs> That's insane. So if they actually catch you, they can get you for doing something illegal and also not turning yourself in for it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> a little more sinisterly, because that's a little comical in my opinion, but the more sinister yeah, aspect yeah, of this fault was it allowed the government to set up concentration camps. For suspected subversives in the event of a war or an internal security emergency, i.e. a revolution. Okay. I mean, we already did this to Japanese people. Yeah. It just says communists, you'll get the same if that happens. Okay. Okay. We're like, we loved how that went. That was a great practice run. Yeah. We're very proud we're of it. We're now bringing this cool new service to white people. <laughs> yeah. They were, yeah, expanding that to whoever, basically. Wow. Did that, like, happen? They didn't set up the concentration camps, but... Okay, they just, like, gave themselves the ability to. They passed that law. They passed that law overwhelmingly. It was too far even for Truman. He said, this is fucked up. Like, this is an embarrassment. <laughs> Guys, trampling the on fuck? the Bill of Rights. What the fuck are you doing? And they said that, you know, fuck you. We're, we're passing it anyway. They overrode his veto. Wow. That's insane. To do the concentration camp law. Okay. Again... We're going to rebrand. This is the fucking purge. Mm -hmm. Come on. This is the, the red purge. Let's be real. Yeah, we didn't quite do it. We didn't get out there and actually say, okay, here's literally our own version of the gulag. Because we already have those for prisons. But we have them, yeah. We, we didn't did make that. a special political one. But we did pass a law that said we could. Yeah. <laughs> and they did try to arrest a whole bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. So that was a, a little doozy there in 1950. That's bonkers. Then in 1954, you have the Communist Control Act. What's that? It's kind of a weak law because it's so vague uh, that they really barely ever use it. But it straight up outlawed the Communist Party and criminalized membership in it or support of its mass organizations. So it's it's like just kind of adding that another layer. It feels repetitive. Layer. Yeah, it's, it's adding another layer to what they'd already done. If we didn't get you with the first two. But this one was a little bit more like kind of dick wavy. 
They're just kind of like, mm-hmm. look at us. We, like, we haven't passed a law in a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just as a reminder, we still really hate communism. Yeah, this passed overwhelmingly in the House and the Senate. No real opposition there. But again, it doesn't get used that often in its in its tenure because it, it was too stupid. But it is kind of a sign of how bad shit was. Yeah, I, but I mean, it recalls a lot of the laws that are getting passed today. Like, Texas recently just did an injunction on the... Uh, there was a third-party book ban law, basically, saying mm-hmm. that, like, bookstores were responsible for anything on their shelves. And everyone was like, oh, hey, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, like, the Texas Supreme Court was like, actually, no, that's, like, really burdensome. Like, we're not going to make you do that. But, like, the idea of passing a law just for show, like, that's definitely a thing that happens now. That's true. Yeah, just to say we don't like this. Go ahead and strike it down, but fuck you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That's... <laughs> I was really hurrying to get all this stuff put together that I didn't actually get a lot of time to reflect on how uh, echoey it is. (laughs) It's freaky. Like, as someone who hasn't been spending time with this, like, oof. You're like, damn, they were doing that too? It's pretty fucked. Well, it's on to this stage that we'll see another of our big bads of the episode. Uh, Senator Joseph McCarthy of Wisconsin stumbling his way to the stage February 9th, 1950. I was wondering when he was going to show up. Yeah. Uh, here he is. <laughs> Boo. His entrance is at the Lincoln day dinner this is like celebrating Lincoln's birthday. Cause it's a Republican party, like annual event sort of thing. Uh, okay. Yeah. And back when they could a little bit more credibly say we're the Republicans of Lincoln. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Not so much anymore, but back then at least some of them could. He was giving a speech to the Women's Republican Club in Wheeling, West Virginia, that bustling metropolis. Yeah. In the speech that he's giving, he came there with two speeches. One, which is described as kind of a snoozer about housing policy. Uh, And then the other one was this one, the red baiting crazy one. In the middle of it, as he's talking about like how the, the, the communists are, would really, you know, they're, they want to take over the world and... When they're, you know, teeming on our shores, you know, an enemy fifth column is going to rise up and stab us in the back because of a sabotage if we're not careful. And in his speech, he says, the State Department is infested with communists, which to me makes it sound like a cool place to hang. Sounds great. I'd love to go to that version of the State (laughs) Department. (laughs) Uh, He's holding up these papers, shouting, State Department is infested with communists. I have here in my hand a list of 205, a list of names that were made known to the Secretary of State as being members of the Communist Party and who nevertheless are still working and shaping policy in the State Department. Infested makes it sound like they're coming out of the fucking walls, you know, like <laughs> they a can't zombie hold movie, but like, <laughs> Yeah, like <laughs> just <laughs> poking out from cabinets and shit. And you're just like, get, you get a broom, get, 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 get back. Uh, <laughs> you get open a here. closet and like 10 communists fall out. Like, <laughs> God damn it. Who put these communists here? <laughs> and they're just like, seize the means of production. <laughs> uh, all right. So he's got these names. What's he going to do with them? Well, the next day he kind of, yeah, cause he gives that speech and people are like, wow, yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, and the press reports on it a little bit. But it hasn't, you know, it's just one guy out in Wheeling, West Virginia. Who cares? The next day, he repeats the accusations, this time in Salt Lake City. This time the number is 57. 
uh, the number oh, will. So you whittle it down a little. Well, he doesn't stay steady. He doesn't go in a trend. Uh, it changes to eighty-one at some point, two oh seven a couple of times. It's flexible. I'm picturing like his typewritten speech with that number just in brackets, like insert number here. D one hundred. Yeah, just like what are you feeling today? Yeah, thirty rolls of percentile dice. Oh, sixty-nine. <laughs> nice, all sexy communists. <laughs> uh, which all communists are sexy. I don't know what to tell you. True. But not sadly, not all sexy people are communists yet. Unfortunate. Until we do our own reverse red scare. Our red, <laughs> what is something that rhymes with scare but is good? Red fair. Red fair. Yeah. We'll return everyone <laughs> communist. Yay. Come to the red fair. It's like the run fair. You get to dress up and we paint your face and it's fun. Yeah. So the press takes the story and runs with it. McCarthy, he's a nobody freshman senator. Okay, this is his ticket in, though. Yeah, he's unpopular with his colleagues because they can all see through him that he's an asshole. He's loud. He's known to be a hothead. He's also known derisively as the Pepsi Cola kid for getting a (laughs) $20,000 personal loan from a Pepsi executive. So he's like Ted Cruz or something. Yeah, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Like everyone fucking hates him. They're like, oh, my God, this fucking guy. (laughs) Yeah, like his like, you know, people in his family. This guy sucks. (laughs) He comes out of nowhere with these bombshell accusations perfectly tailored to the atmosphere of the country. Right. All this paranoia we've been setting up is because McCarthy walks into that situation. Like that's the world he's living in. And that's the world that he exploits for his own trajectory. So what year is this again? Uh, this is 1950. Okay, so this has been going on for like 10-ish years. Yeah, like three-ish okay. years in terms of from 47 of the executive oh, order okay. to 1050. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. 1940 with the Smith Act, I would say. But yeah. remember in World War II, they were kind of low-key on the communists. We were chill about it, yeah. more or less. Okay. I guess I was wondering, like, you know, was he at an influential age or something when this was popping off? But it's pretty pretty recent. He was, no, he was a full-grown man, I guess, at that time. Because he fought in <laughs> World War II, uh, mm-hmm. quote-unquote. He... <laughs> oh, I love that. He was, uh, he ends up getting, sort of like uh, Lyndon Johnson getting the derisive name of Landslide Lyndon that he then kind of runs with and says, like, oh, yeah, call me Landslide Lyndon. Yeah, it sounds that sounds really cool. What a bad nickname, because that's great. Well, but it was meant to be making fun, because he, like, squeaked by in an election that he stole. Oh, And so everyone okay. was like, okay, landslide, Lyndon. <laughs> but he was like, yeah, that is cool. Like, I'm call, call <laughs> me that, and sick. people will forget its origin, you know? I, I uh, did, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> but McCarthy was called Tail Gunner Joe from his days in the war. He signed up in the Marine Corps. Fucking tailspin over here. <laughs> <laughs> and he ends up... As an intelligence briefing officer for a dive bomber squadron, he volunteers to fly these combat missions as a gunner observer. But these missions are generally safe. Like, nothing's fucking happening where he's at. And after one of them, they're like, yeah, go on, Joe. If you want to shoot the gun, shoot the gun. So they just let him shoot. And he, he's just back there <laughs> gunning down uh, coconut trees, basically. Oh, my God. And so they're like, oh, he, he really did him in. That's old tail gunner Joe there. Wow, that's so good. He's just a fucking child. <laughs> well, when he gets back, wow. he's like, oh, I saw this the, these, this combat with the enemy. We were toe-to-toe. I was dogfighting. 
he ends up using his political connections and lying like that to get like medals and shit, like to get <gasps> a, award service awards and stuff for his bravery oh, and, and what everything. a little fucking weasel. But yeah, he was totally oh lying. Oh my god. I would love to punch this man in the face. What a piece of Claimed shit. Participation in thirty two aerial missions in order to qualify for a distinguished flying cross and multiple awards of the air medal. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. What a fucking loser. This guy what, what did he have, like, daddy issues or something? Like, come on. Like, clearly just a loser man looking for attention. Here's a great part. A war wound, a badly broken leg, uh, that McCarthy made the subject of various stories involving airplane crashes or anti-aircraft fire, had in fact uh-huh. happened aboard a ship during a rock- raucous celebration for sailors crossing the equator for the first time. <laughs> you know how they do that thing? It's like the polywog or something. What? It's a thing that sailor that anyone does when they cross the equator for the first time. Never uh, heard of that. Folly, it looks like. Become a folly. Folly. Okay. It's a sir it's like a quasi hazing sort of fun thing to do. But anyway, he broke his That's leg so during funny. that and said, Oh yeah, you know. This guy's like a fucking frat boy or something. Like he's just he's an idiot. He's just like gonna brag about stories and just make shit up for attention. That's all he is. So that's McCarthy, Tailgunner Joe. <laughs> Fucking piece of shit, Joe. And he's given the people this crazy, sensational story. But people want more. He's being very vague, you know? Uh, who are these communists? Like, uh, why were they working for the government? How, how could this be allowed to happen? Are there more that we don't know about? Like, what's, you know, what is this? Ah. Uh, I don't know if there's more. I've got to roll my DD 100 and find out. <laughs> there may be. Yeah. <laughs> it depends if I can roll with advantage. <laughs> well, the list that he had, which he wouldn't show to anybody. Of course. Was the Lee list. This is what is called the Lee list, uh, which was a three year old dossier that the FBI had leaked to him. Ah. Uh. And it came from those loyalty reviews that we mentioned earlier that we were pretty sure that nothing bad was going to come from those so he was like you know those people we investigated let's do it again let's uh use that to go to the next level because we're not super Mm. concerned about them we do want to see them fired okay but who let them in (laughs) the the door in the first place like Mm. where does it go does it go all the way to the top (laughs) okay that's what he's that makes sense you know those things where we had like those trials where no one really got convicted. I bet there's some, some cool stories behind those. Well, and that's, that's kind of the flip side that he was able to convincingly sell was why didn't those go anywhere? It's like in a Poirot novel where they're like, this person did do the murder, but they did do like another crime and they're tra- That's why they looked suspicious, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, you yeah. know, secondhand crime. Yeah. There's something else going. And I think a lot of Americans given, how ginned up a situation they were sold and then to come away from those investigations with not a lot. Not very satisfying. Yeah, they were like, yeah, sure, something's up. This guy's on to something. Like, there can't be no communists in the government. What the fuck? (laughs) You know, people keep telling us every day the red menace. There's Mm got to be something to it. There's got to be some of them here. Surely they're powerful enough to do that. Yeah. People wanted more. He's got this list from the old loyalty reviews that the FBI leaked to him. It's called the Lee List because it was compiled by an FBI agent, and I shit you not, his name is Robert E. Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Guarantee he's from Virginia. 
Yeah, right? Wow. Who did the report uh, on the State Department employees, like the loyalty report. He determined there were 108 questionable cases. That's not the man you want doing your loyalty report. <laughs> Robert e. Lee, what does he know about loyalty? <laughs> <laughs> this guy seems to be into maybe a different country than we're in a currently. A little disloyal, yeah. <laughs> Struggled seems in the past. To advocate for that. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhat of a waffler. Yeah. Uh, most of these people on the list by 1950 were not working for the State Department anymore. But McCarthy did not care. Like I said, he's going after bigger fish. And he also embellished the report itself. So when he was reading it, he was sort of ad-libbing on yeah. the description. So he, he'd like riff. So where it said somebody had you know liberal tendencies or, or was considered a liberal, he would say communistically inclined. Oh, man, I wish liberals were more communistically inclined. <laughs> Please, Get yeah. along a lot better with them. Get him talking to McCarthy here. Get him on. Please. In the right lane, uh, active fellow traveler would be changed to active communist. You know, so just things like this. Just make it a little okay. worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone got bumped up a level. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're no longer fourth tier. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Third string. <laughs> Third string. We can do it. We can sit on the bench, like, slightly closer to the cameras. <laughs> yeah. Wave to our parents. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're going to put me in next game. <laughs> Coach said, if we get ahead by enough. <laughs> so in any case, McCarthy was accusing the government of protecting these communists. That was the big thing. The people being, you know, accused of being communists in the government, you know, they were workers at various levels, but the people accused of protecting them went all the way to Truman himself. All right. He smells a cover up. Yeah, that's the thing. And Secretary of Defense George Marshall was another big target for McCarthy. He said famously about Marshall that he was part of a conspiracy so immense and an infamy so black as to dwarf any previous venture in the history of man. This is some QAnon shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's Pizzagate, QAnon, all that. Like this, this all these are the shit. origins. Like, wow. And it does kind of go farther back because I mean you do have secret societies and shit like that. People, you know, uh, yeah, muse about. totally. But this is definitely like that ancestry of QAnon. Yeah, that's such a recent example culturally. There, there's going to be more parallels as we go. Okay. But but that's what that's what he's looking at is who's covering it up, and one kind of sad aspect to this is. He does sort of admit that it's made up to a couple of reporters early on. Okay. But that doesn't get out. Like, I don't know why they don't report this or something. But, yeah, he, he admits to. They, they like, take him out uh, in in Reno. Uh, Frank McCullough of the Reno Gazette and Edward Olson of the Associated Press, they go, like, get him drunk with them. And he just drunkenly admits, hell, there ain't no list. <gasps> but nothing comes of that. What the fuck? That's before all the damage is done, you know? And that's published? Uh, that's in an interview from in, that they did with the with those uh, reporters in this book. So I don't, I don't know if they published mm. it anywhere. But if they didn't, that okay. also sucks. Like, why didn't they do something? I mean, I wonder if it just, like, wasn't a cool enough story for them or something. Or if they, they were getting a lot more circulation from, you He's know, He's drunk, they going to believe it or something. Or, yeah, that could have been it, too. 
Ugh. That, what a Reno way to get news, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Frank McCullough's like, hey, You don't want to do I the Reno this. interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Reno tapes, never good. Mm-mm. Uh, a side note, an odd ally of McCarthy was JFK. I thought he was a communist. <laughs> oh, right? well. Big time, you know, friend of the Super. Soviets. As red as his hair. His dad was a McCarthy funder. Uh oh, Papa Joe. He also had a lot of support in his district, in or his state in Massachusetts. Lots of Catholics there. Lots of stridently mm-hmm. anti-communist Catholics. But McCarthy had a uh, Kennedy family connections as well, with uh, having dated two of the Kennedy sisters at some point. Ooh. Uh, presumably not at the same time, but who knows? <laughs> That's a little sitcom for you. <laughs> Uh, He was also the godfather of RFK's first child. Uh, And so, yeah, JFK did not talk any shit about McCarthy while he was in the Senate with him. Like, he was just like, this guy's fine. Like, he was probably one of those guys that signed off on all the HUAC stuff, too, like, timeline-wise. He was a strident anti-communist, JFK was. Um, But point is, McCarthy, back to the main point, he's making shit up as he goes, but he... He'd grabbed onto lightning here. He, he's, he's, something's happening. The Senate realizes it. They vote unanimously to set up something called the Tidings Committee, which you'll see in the course of the rest of our episode. That committee's, that's half your job of being a senator is forming and being in committees. They investigate the issue. It's led by Democrats, though, and they think McCarthy is full of shit, basically. When they mm. hear the meager facts that he has at that point, he accuses a few people they look into it briefly and they're like, there's absolutely bullshit. no proof, guys. Uh, but McCarthy doesn't back down. Uh, he keeps this going into the 1950 midterms when he supports and campaigns for several Senate candidates, including an opponent to Tidings, the guy the committee is named after, the guy, the mm. Democrat who kind of wrecked his shit just then. Yeah, okay. All the guys he endorsed won. Oh, shit. So now we got even more McCarthy heads. We got McCarthy heads and we got proof that the American people are drinking this up. Mm-hmm. McCarthy goes from outcast loser in the Senate to kingmaker overnight. Oh, my God. Yep. Huge. So in a second term as senator, he becomes chairman of the Senate Committee on Government Operations. Now, this was the GOP leadership's way of saying let's put this motherfucker in this bitch ass little place he's not gonna be doing anything there of importance last time i thought about this committee was the last time we had to do this because it doesn't it never does anything this is where you go like this is the but this is the uncool kids table right this is the nerd table like four string four string republicans go here (laughs) the only benefit to this was you know this was not the internal security committee the guys who get to hunt communists right yeah uh, but the benefit to this was it did have something called the senate permanent committee subcommittee on investigations all right so under the committee of government operations you had the permanent subcommittee on investigations which was just in charge of investigating things and that was broad enough for him to say <laughs> well really communist things so let's investigate <laughs> communists with this thing wow okay so he's given nothing but then said fuck it i'm gonna do it anyway i'm gonna make this into something yeah I'm going to cause problems on purpose. So he says, let's investigate communists in the government. He hires this asshole named Roy Cohn as his chief counsel and gets to work. 
Roy Cohn, for modern listeners, you may recall this name being brought up in regards to Trump, who used him as a lawyer back in the day. Cohn, oh. notoriously corrupt and like in with the mafia and shit like that oh. uh, in his later years. But here he's like a kind of up and coming lawyer kind of guy. Interesting. So McCarthy obviously uses his newfound power for evil. His first target is the State Department's Voice of America News Network, which is oh, good. a U.S. propaganda outlet, basically. Yeah, sounds like it. Brings in a bunch of guys, investigates them, oh, are you communists, you know, all this stuff. Nothing ends up being substantiated, basically finds zero. He does, in the course of investigation, end up driving one of their engineers to suicide. <gasps> Holy shit. The next target was the State Department's Overseas Library Program. Uh, which I, I didn't really look too much into it. I imagine it's like for the embassies there or something, or maybe for American expats or something. I don't know. Uh, but uh, Roy Cohn, the lawyer, went to Europe and dug through their card catalogs in these libraries <laughs> to go find <laughs> offensive books. I think my guy just wanted a free trip to Europe. <laughs> yeah, he was like doing, you know. He had made some promises shit. to the wife that were not coming through. <laughs> And he was like, hey, man, I got a great idea. <laughs> yeah. So McCarthy, you know, took these and read them out to the committee and said, look at this shit that they're putting out there. We should get the State Department to get rid of these books. And so they did uh, pressure them into getting rid of these books. Oh, book bans. What a classic. Yeah, that was around, too. <laughs> a couple of examples just to kind of uh, these were mentioned in Howard Zinn's People's History a play called the children's hour, which seemed to be Sounds just a drama. Chill. There was a, a lesbian affair in there, I guess is what maybe <gasps> they were like, Ooh. all lesbians are communists. Everybody knows that. <laughs> uh, also the selected works of Thomas Jefferson. What noted communist Thomas Jefferson. So I know why this one happened. It's because this was compiled by edited by Philip Foner. Who's like, okay. is a leftist labor historian. But this is the selected works of Thomas Jefferson. You're not getting any. It's like he's going in there and changing shit. Right. (laughs) So that was a bizarre. Life, liberty, and. uh, Communism. This means of production. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like scratched out. Uh, But the last hurrah for Joe McCarthy was his attack on the army. Ooh, that's. You don't want to poke that bear. You don't. Okay. If you ever played GTA, going after the army base is rarely a winning move. (laughs) Only time it really works for you when you go against the U.S. Army is, A, you're in Afghanistan, maybe. B, you're in Vietnam fighting a guerrilla war of national independence. I mean, you know, there's Mm -hmm. times when it works, but usually not. And McCarthy, it does not work for him. Got too big for his britches. Yeah, basically. He targets Fort Monmouth, the main research and training site for the Army Signal Corps, because he'd heard... Rumors, basically. That's that's all he's got. He's got rumors. <laughs> okay, uh, cool. And his investigation turns up nothing. He had some phony books. You know, it's just, oh, look, at there's, there's ladies kissing. He had <laughs> nothing from Voice of America. And now he has nothing at Fort Monmouth. The only thing he could get. I was going to ask, is it gays? He went after gays too, right? He doesn't himself specifically so there is a concurrent thing called the lavender scare uh which happens during this time uh it's enough for its own episode we won't really delve but 
basically what happens there is in the UK, they discover a spy ring under Kim Philby called the Cambridge Five. And a couple of them were gay. And this turns the crosshairs into, oh, well, well then gay people the are probably subversive. You know, they're sexual perverts. Um, wow. And so it's kind of the same thing you see in the Soviet Union of like gay being like accused of fascism or, or counter-revolutionary mm-hmm. bourgeois decadence or whatever. Just flipped. Yeah, totally. And so <laughs> they end up firing more than 5,000 federal workers, thousands more harassed or, or denied employment. Like it, it kicks off a whole thing. But McCarthy. That's Wapi, more of a UK thing? No, no, no. So that the UK events were so huge that the United States found out about it. And they were like, oh shit, like we need to look out oh, for okay. that here. But the Live and Square gotcha, was gotcha, mostly gotcha. here. Uh, McCarthy does engage in a little bit of like homophobia and stuff in some of his hearings. Uh, yeah. But it's not like his main. Like that will be used as like supporting evidence kind of. Yeah, but it's not his main thing. Mm-hmm. It's like he'll, he's glad to take someone down for it, but it's not what he's going after. It's like it, it's like you're more likely to be communist because I found out you're gay or whatever. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. So he doesn't get anything in Fort Monmouth. The only thing he gets is a New York dentist. <laughs> Gotta watch out for this communist dentist. Yeah. What would a dentist even like? What power does a dentist have? Well, he's in the he gets ends up in the army, but yeah, still. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like he he makes like he withholds Novocaine unless he tells him secrets or something. Like what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> I mean, there's people with like real dental fears out there, so I guess like for some people, dentists are very powerful. But come well, on, he just. He does that thing where he's a really bad spy. You know, he asks you all the questions and stuff, but while your mouth is open, so well, you can't tell him, tell him the secrets. <laughs> yeah. They didn't train him very well. <laughs> this guy, Irving Perez, he was drafted into the army in 1952. He's promoted in 1953 automatically because of a law called the doctor's law uh, or the doctor's draft law or something that McCarthy had voted for. But later he complains, why'd they promote him? It, well, it was you, dumbass. You did this. Anyway, he refused to answer the political affiliations part of his loyalty review. So the army was like, well, we have to fire this guy. Uh, We're firing him in 90 days, which sounds like kind of a convenient way to dodge the draft if you wanted to. Honestly, Uh, yeah. (laughs) uh, So within this window, McCarthy finds out about this guy and subpoenas him before he's out of the army. But after he's Mm. been slated to be already being fired. Well, and, and he brings him in. Perez is like, no, I'm not answering anything. I plead the fifth. And McCarthy writes the army and says, court-martial this asshole. He didn't testify for me. The army says, no, we're going to honorably discharge him. We are firing him. Like, it's fine. Yeah. So, well, I mean, they honorably discharge him, uh, which I guess is like more better for you than... It's a nicer way to fire. Yeah. Uh, And this pisses off McCarthy. So he subpoenas Perez's commanding officer, General Ralph Zwicker, a World War II war hero and then proceeds <laughs> to look. verbally abuse this guy in his hearing. He says that his intelligence was that of a five-year-old child. And he <laughs> says he was not fit to wear that uniform. Tailgunner Joe tells him this because he refused to testify at times because the army lawyer that was with him said, don't answer that. That's really don't say anything like that's stupid. It's not like he was being a dick. He was just like following his lawyer's He's advice. To his lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. So it's, it's rough stuff. It's an ugly look. Everybody's like, yeah, okay. Uh, and it really starts to unravel when a friend of Roy Cohn, a guy named G. David Shine, gets drafted into the army in November 1953. 
because basically immediately after that, Roy Cohn gets on the phone with anyone he can find at the army and officials all up and down trying to help shine, trying demanding that he is given a commission instead of being a private getting light duties, extra leave and no overseas assignments. In addition to all these requests, he's threatening to wreck the army if his demands aren't met. He's doing some mob shit. Yeah. As a friend of Roy Cohn's... He's like, Cohn's, get him a, a no-show job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's basically... He's at the uh, Esplanade. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, but he's also a former McCarthy aide. So this is why it blows back onto McCarthy. This isn't yeah. just some asshole. This is someone really directly connected to him and someone that his main guy is helping so furiously. Yeah. Oh. So this triggers something called the Army McCarthy hearings, where the Senate... McCarthy's own subcommittee thing investigates mm-hmm. him for this. Oops. So he gets kicked out of the chief position because he's being investigated. Another senator takes over that. Damn, the tables have done turned. Yeah. So these are also nationally televised back when that was actually universally watched. So 36 days, 80 million people watching McCarthy wow. live. And he does not do well. Error number one, he submits a fake photo. Uh, what? He just wanted to look handsomer? No, for some reason, when they're trying to introduce the guy in question, Shine, I guess they wanted him to look handsomer or something, but they they put this doctored photo with him with the army secretary, but they've edited other people out. I guess to make it look like <gasps> he was cooler or something? I don't really know. I guess. That's uh, so weird. I couldn't tell the real, but like it comes out that, oh no, here's a bigger version of this picture. It's got everybody. Like You can <laughs> even see this it. guy's sleeve still in here. Oh my God. Embarrassment number one. Yeah, that's not great. Uh, I can't tell like why it influenced the case other than being like stupid. Like exclusive, like, ooh. Right. Uh, Error number two was uh, McCarthy produced a fake memo. He claimed to have a memo from J. Edgar Hoover to an army general warning him of subversives in the army signal corps. And he said Uh the army had this when the current secretary of the army, like when he took office, like they already had this, so they should have known. But the army lawyer said, wait a minute. I don't think that came from the army files. And McCarthy's like, no, 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 no. I mean, like it totally, it totally did. I didn't get anything from the FBI. And then they cross-examine him some. And then he's like, okay, so I got that from the FBI. The FBI leaked it to me. I won't tell you who it is. I'm protecting my source. But yeah, that's, that's kind of where I got it from. Not only that, they examined the document the memo and took it to Hoover and he denied writing it or ordering wow. it being written said, there's nothing like this in the FBI. He's <laughs> just like, no dude, you lied. That's you. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. That's not great. <laughs> Next, his final error was punching down the army lawyer, Joseph Welch, puts McCarthy on blast. He's like, turn over your list before the sun goes down or you're a chump. Mm-hmm. That's all there is to it. You, you know, it's t- time, enough time has passed. Let's see it. Let's put the fucking, put the money where their mouth is. And McCarthy, he's pissed about this. He says, you know what? Why don't you go check on your boy, Fred Fisher, if you want to see a real chump. Okay. Fred Fisher was a young lawyer in Welch's law firm who was going to be on the hearings, but gets sent back to Boston because shortly before the trial, 
like a couple weeks, short in lawyer terms. Welch finds out that the young lawyer Fisher had been in the National Lawyers Guild, which is like a progressive alternative to the American Bar Association that was accused by the Attorney General of being a communist front organization. Okay. So he was in one of the bad orgs. So Welch is like, you're not on the case, you're going back to Boston. He's not going to even fires him. Welch agrees not to hit below the belt about Roy Cohn's World War II draft status. So unlike oh. Tail Gunner Joe, Roy Cohn dodged the World War II draft by getting a friendly congressman to nominate him to West Point, where he would then fail the strength and endurance test. And he repeated that three times to just to kill time so he wouldn't have to go. <laughs> the fact that this guy worked for Trump is so spot on. Right? Like, of course he did. <laughs> this is all his fucking playbook. Yep. He's like, hey, you don't, you don't have to go to Vietnam, buddy. Let don't me tell you what it. I did in World War II. <laughs> Let me tell you a tale. <laughs> anyway, he's like, I'm not going to bring up the Roy Cohn shit. In exchange, don't bring up Fisher because he's going through it. Yeah. Right? Welch, at this point, when he brings up Fisher, he's fucking done. He's like, yeah, he's like, fuck this guy. Yeah. He says, until this moment, Senator, I think I never really gauged your cruelty or your recklessness. And McCarthy starts bitching about him. He's like, oh, you're just trying to kill time. Shut up. And he's like, he cuts him off. He says, Senator, may we not drop this? We know we belong to the Lawyers Guild. Let us not assassinate this lad further. Senator, you've done enough. Have you no sense of decency, sir? At long last, have you left no sense of decency? He doesn't is the thing. He has yeah. no fucking shame. And McCarthy, oh. you know, he tries to he tries to, you know, mouth off again, but Welch is just like, No, no, fuck this. I'm not no. discussing this further fuck with this, you. Fuck you. Uh, Mr. Chairman, call the next witness. He's just like, I'm out. <laughs> wow. The gavel He's falls. Like, Don't go after my boy. The gallery just erupts in applause and McCarthy's just like beat. He's just fuck. like <laughs> He fumbled it. Yeah. Oh. Now it's kind of an aspect of liberal storytelling to center it just on this tell-off, right? Uh, because there's there's more things going on, all right? One big part of it is the whole national televised thing. Because you mentioned earlier, this guy's like Ted Cruz, right? He's very unlikable. Imagine having to watch Ted Cruz for 30 days. Vom. No, thank you. Nothing's on TV but the Ted Cruz hour. Ugh. Right? Horrible. And And, and so this is kind of what happens is the American people have to actually see this guy. People got sick of him. And yeah, they hate it. His approval ratings plummet from 50% in January to 34% in June. Ooh, that's pretty, that's a tumble. Yeah, his negatives go from 29% to 45%. So I think the verbal slam at the end is sort of the icing on top. There's also uh, other television events going on. Uh, there's the famous documentary series by Edward Murrow called See It Now that did a story on McCarthy, a report on Senator Joseph R. McCarthy. Have you ever seen the movie Good Night and Good Luck? That's what this is about. But basically, he does what people perceive to be kind of a takedown job, but is mostly just clips of McCarthy speaking uh, <laughs> and saying, like, doesn't that guy look like an asshole? Basically, like, doesn't he sound mean? You know, they also they ran another episode after that first one. Uh, that focused on one of his victims, Annie Lee Moss, a black army clerk in the Signal Corps. During the loyalty review process, she was briefly suspended, but she appealed that, and the army was like, oh, never mind, you have your job. 
And McCarthy was like, wait a second. How does this person get, you know, get their job back? All this. So he comes charging in and it kind of turns out that she's just ridiculously not a communist. Uh, Doesn't know anything about communism. He's like, no, she's a communist. She handled encoding and decoding top secret army messages. Okay. Again, she wasn't a communist, wasn't handling anything that wasn't like encrypted and had no access to the code room. So wasn't doing any of those things. Just there's no fucking way. Yeah. It was just completely clear. And and in the proceedings, his own committee was just like, this, this lady is not it. Like, no, what are we doing here? You know? Um, So that made him look stupid. And finally, he tried to do a rebuttal uh, to go on, see it now, to to do combat, you know, with Murrow, set him straight. Uh, And that didn't help things. It made him look like an asshole. He accused Murrow of colluding with Vox, which is the Soviet Society of Cultural Relations, which is kind of like a international cultural organization sort of thing. Wasn't true, but also was just an asshole thing to do to the guy on his own program. (laughs) And nobody was like, oh, Murrow is a... Literally no one thought this. So they were just like, McCarthy... You were reaching. Yeah, you're desperate, dude. So all these things, I think mainly just having to see more of the guy and how obnoxious (laughs) he was. People are so sick of this fucking guy. Yeah. But the dramatic point was getting told off. In like any of these investigations, like HUAC and McCarthy stuff, any of that... Did uh, civil rights people get caught up in this? Uh, yeah. So there were civil rights organizations, for example, in the attorney general's list of cool kids. Uh, yeah. So, mostly cool. <laughs> yeah. Not all cool, we should say. Um, but definitely. So civil rights organizations, National Negro Congress, Council on African Affairs, which did some civil rights work as well. And we shouldn't put it beyond them both the socialist workers party and the communist party usa both did a lot of civil rights uh, organizations in communist party usa totally. one big uh example of their you know work in the african-american community was their sharecroppers unions back in the day uh throughout yeah, the south yeah totally so yeah there was a, lo- a lot of kind of crossover of, of people being taken down for really engagement even in like liberal reformist type of things like that was even enough you know yeah, that's the thing. Like, you're not safe either. Like, I think the the leopard will eventually start eating your face. <laughs> you know, you are not safe either. It's only a matter of time, and the liberals won't know it till they're the ones on the chopping block. But luckily for those liberals out there in your life, we're trying to save them too. <laughs> <laughs> you are welcome. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, once McCarthy gets knocked off his pedestal, the dogs of war close in. His fellow senators, once cowed by his might, smell blood, and they're ready for it. They're like, finally, I was so sick of this guy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they did hate him. They only went along once he became powerful, you know? And so they introduce a resolution to censure him for being oh, yeah. an asshole. But they realize, <laughs> okay, we got to come up with a reason, fine. So they put together a committee, because that's what your job is. In that's what Senate, you do. The Watkins Committee. And after two months, they figure out, okay, specifically... We're going to call him out on two things. Contempt of a subcommittee. This is a very technical thing. It's very annoying. And his abuse of General Zwicker earlier. They're like, he really should not have said that to that guy. But then they walk that back and they say, basically, "Eh, Zwicker was kind of asking for it. He kind of egged him on. (laughs) What? It's kind of like, whoa. (laughs) All right, whatever. But they replace that 
with a charge of trash talking them, the 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 Watkins committee. <laughs> well, uh, fine, you can't talk bad to us, <laughs> right? Yeah, because he uh, said they were doing a deliberate deception, a fraud, were a lynch party, the unwitting handmaiden, involuntary agent, and attorneys, in fact, of the Communist Party. The irony of this white man using the term lynching. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they were like, okay, whatever, dumbass. We're putting that on the list, too. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's very funny that they're like, we're going to get you for this and this. Oh, also, yeah, you talked <laughs> shit to us, too. <laughs> yeah. So they vote to condemn him 67 to 22. Our pal JFK hospitalized for back surgery, didn't vote, and also never said how he would have voted. Even though people asked. Mm, that's right. They were buddies. Maybe he scheduled it then. Like, oh, gosh. <laughs> just, just take me that. out of the game. <laughs> She's like jumps down the stairs. <laughs> just falls down. <laughs> and with that, McCarthy slumped off stage. Still a senator, but a walking ghost. The uh, President Eisenhower kind of did a dad joke about this to his cabinet. Saying that McCarthyism had become McCarthyism. <laughs> Huh? That's really bad. And I picture him like slapping his knee. Yeah. He thought that was uh, great. And and you know everyone around him like doubled over with fake laughter. Like, oh, good one, sir. <laughs> I was really <laughs> hoping for the opposite. And they're just looking at him like, mm, yes, oh. sir. Good one, sir. <laughs> mm, nice. <laughs> uh, McCarthy ends up oh. drinking himself to an early death. May Ooh, 2nd, okay. 1957. Doesn't live out his Senate term. Damn, that's really early. Jesus. Yeah. He was also, incidentally, on morphine on the government's dime. Okay. The, the, like, the head of the drug, one, you know, one of the agencies, found out about his habit and came to him and was like, what the fuck? And he was like, yeah, <laughs> hey, I'm dude. not going to stop. I don't care if this causes a national scandal. That's on you. You have to clean that up. Deal with it. And so he was like, oh, okay, wow. uh, we're just going to pay for your morphine. Here you go. Like, here's morphine. That's insane. So my man got free drugs. I mean, yeah, combine that with alcohol. That is an early way out. Yeah. So anyway, the second Red Scare kind of follows his fall, drifting into irrelevance. The, the blacklist gradually crumbles. The Supreme Court makes a series of rulings, reversing the convictions of the Smith Act and restricting Hueck's ability to do things. And generally, things kind of go back to Everyone's still hating communism, but not being so crazy about it. But that, that's sort of the overall trajectory there. There were a few other aspects. I mean, women were involved in this as well in terms of like the bad side of uh, the Red Scare. There was something called the American Public Relations Forum and the Minute Women of the USA, okay. uh, which was kind of like trying to organize housewives into like study groups, but the bad kind of study groups. Like how to spot a communist. Yeah, or like letter Is writing campaigns. Is your husband communist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here's what to look for. I married a communist. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Abby's story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and like patriotic clubs and stuff, you know, anti-communist sort of shit. Mm-hmm. One thing I found that was strange about the Second Red Scare is its public health stance or like anti-public okay. health stance. What? Which I found kind of resonant. Yes. Is that <laughs> they denounced vaccinations, mental health care, and the fluoridation of water uh, as oh my God. communist plots to debilitate and or brainwash Americans. 
what's the difference? Like I can't even tell anymore. <laughs> right. That's, that's again, that's another origins of it. Right. It like never really died. Like, I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to go back to my room and like all my bras will be pointy. Like what year is this? I'm so confused. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where in Dr. Strange love, they get the precious bodily the fluids and the yeah, fluoride. Yeah. That's, that's where they're, you know, that that's was a real so thing. weird. Yeah. And he also had states and local governments trying to do like mini me versions of the red scare. Mm-hmm. They're like, we can do it too. Yeah. Some of them started their own little mini HUACs. Michigan started life imprisonment for subversive propaganda. Holy shit. Yeah. I don't want to go to Michigan back then. Jesus. <laughs> Tennessee enacted the fucked. death penalty for advocating violent Whoa. revolution. Okay, Tennessee. They said, you guys want to talk about guillotines, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I got your guillotine right here. <laughs> Good old Texas talked about doing the death penalty just for being a member of the Communist Party. Wow, 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 wow. They didn't do it, though? No, they didn't. Although Gov- Governor Alan Shivers called for it, calling membership in the Communist Party worse than murder. <laughs> okay, hold on. <laughs> Partner, What's I'd rather even? you just kill somebody than go be a communist. <laughs> Have you tried being a murder, a murderer instead? At least be a good, honest, American, upright <laughs> a murderer. A hardworking murderer. <laughs> That's insane. And cities, for their part, L.A., uh, banned communists from owning guns. In Birmingham and Jacksonville, hopefully these laws aren't still on the books or a future live tour is off the table for them because they banned (laughs) communists from being in the city limits. Damn, okay. You got to turn around. (laughs) Go around. But yeah, all that stuff, you know, uh, kind of fell out of fashion once McCarthy was disgraced. But it's crazy to see how widespread it was. Yeah, and how again, the parallels with mm-hmm. today. That's fucking creepy. This is kind of a tangent, but you're talking about like the anti-health aspect of it. Have you heard of hookfoot? No. Or, or hookworm? I've heard of hookworm. This is something that you, I guess maybe you get it from going barefoot or something, right? Maybe, maybe I'm confusing the terms. It might actually just be hookworm. I, I learned this the other day is, is one, uh, hookworms stuff is coming back, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, because of course it is. Why not? Let's bring polio back, like all the classics. <laughs> <laughs> what is interesting about the story of like hookworm is that it was really prevalent in the South because they had such poor infrastructure and like poor sewage management and people were living these much more rural lifestyles and going barefoot. Mm-hmm. And that is like, one of the reasons we associate uh, the South with like speaking slowly in a drawl is that hookworm can cause like brain damage. Whoa. So like, that's like one of the stereotypes we have around like the South, which I was like, that's so weird. Is it Southerners are stupid because they have hookworm? Yeah. Damn. Not fucking weird. It's crazy. Maybe we just like talking slow y'all. Jeez. <laughs> just taking our time. <laughs> It's the worm. <laughs> he doesn't want me to rush. Yeah, apparently he didn't want me to rush. I dragged this out for two hours. No worries, but man. It's all right. <laughs> it's going to be good. Uh, all right. Yeah. What are your final thoughts on that? I really didn't put together a big conclusion because I felt like it kind of built itself. But I think it did, too. And, and I'm not just saying this because I'm like sleepy or whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean. It is impressive how widespread it was. It is impressive how wide the laws were and how vague and and in some cases of these states, draconian. And it's 
impressive slash terrifying, like how many of the senators were on board with it. Like that, that's like a hysteria kind of level, you know, like, and again, the perils, gross, nasty, like as, as a, you know, a trans person and an author who's talked to lots of librarians and like bookstore owners and teachers, like this shit is happening again. And it's terrifying. And I'm really curious about the intersection of, of this legacy with like the current movement. Like, do you think they are inspired by that in any way? Do you think they are like, you know, we should do that again? <laughs> you know, like I I'm curious if there's any connections there. If I were them, I'd be an asshole, but I would be emboldened. <laughs> we wouldn't be friends. Yeah. I'd be emboldened <laughs> is what I would be because you look at the era that McCarthy did this in. Uh, and you know, he had the cold war, uh, backdrop of an actual Soviet Union to, to counteract and everything, but we've spun up our own, our own enemies to, to pillory, right? Uh, there, so that's still there for him, but but it's much more internal. Uh, well, maybe you're, I think you're right that that's more the focus. But what I would say is, McCarthy had to struggle against, and he really like this is where he ran up against the wall was a monolithic media. So people had six channels or something to watch, right? You basically, you had centralized authority figures in the media who would tell you what's what. And when some of them started to go against him and, and publicly call him out, and he went out there and showed his whole ass on TV, <laughs> like there was one story and the media played one story, which is look at this jackass. Yeah. We're here. You can choose your media. Right. Yeah. We're so fragmented now that even if someone decided to do that, and even when you have, you know, a president, you know, and, and Trump did this, Biden also does this of just doing repeatedly yeah. embarrassing shit. Both sides can go take in all sides, not just the two traditional ones, but everybody can take their own story from it and get their own media from it. And so there's no real reason why McCarthy would have to fade. Yeah, it can be more of a, a constant threat. Like just that's just one stream of of, you know, conservative politics, which is what it is now. Like it, it used to be like I remember back in like, you know, the the mid to late aughts, like, you know, Tea Party shit like that was such an offshoot. You know, that was such a oh, they're weird Republicans. Like, I don't know what's going on with them. And now that's, you know, that shifted so much like that's pretty mainstream. Yeah, that's everyone pays lip service now to that in some way. Mm -hmm. Whereas before there was a bigger divide with like kind of Bush type Republicans, neocons or whatever versus, yeah, the more small government got quote unquote small government, but we still want to police everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what made me think of like Ted Cruz or like, you know, what's her name? Kristen Cinema, like all those like very loud characters that are just here to cause problems. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if they, if they were able if they were ever able to translate into something where like McCarthy, where it was clear that they had the mandate that they were carrying the party. then that's where you would have to look at. Maybe this person's going to make that something more, you know, and if you get the right kind of guy, that's not drunk half the time and can figure out how to, and on morphine, you know, I mean, he was struggling with stuff. I don't want to pillory him for that, but like still, if, if he was more capable, Right, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't just in it for Tailgunner Joe's personal glory, then she, she might have somebody cobbling together, you know, uh, the at least a proto-fascist state. Yeah, I mean, what I think they have done is, I don't know, in my experience, 
as someone who lives in a conservative state is I don't meet people who are like straight up, like let's, you know, kill all trans people. What they do is they have questions because those questions have been asked over and over and they just don't know mm-hmm. is the thing. They're just like, I don't know. Should they be in sports or like, I don't know. Like, should we be doing surgeries? Like they're just fed a lot of misinformation. Yeah. But they're like, I think the volume of, of bad faith questions that are thrown at them from these areas those kinds of questions and controversies results in like, I think the vast majority of people are like, I don't know. This seems like a very loud question. I probably should ask it too. You know, not necessarily like they're rapidly on board more like, I don't know, maybe it is a concern. People seem to be concerned about this. Right. And then if they're not, if they don't encounter people to ask that in their lives, that will give them a good answer. You get people who give them a bad answer or they'll just, they'll just see it on TV. Someone saying, no, we shouldn't do that because this, this, and this, and that'll sound convincing because they're not sure. Yeah. I, I think it just results in a general destabilization of, of like social values of, of you can kind of believe whatever you want. Like even the UAP thing, Kyle was like, why are people not freaking out about this? Why is this not what everyone's talking about all the time? I'm like, people can choose what to be interested in now. Like it's such a bubble if you if that makes you uncomfortable, you can look at a hundred other things, you know, millions of other things. Like it's fine. And that's because also our side, specifically about that, our side of skeptics and not skeptics, but like uh, you know, UFO interested people got divided when the government kind of came out and said, Yeah, some of this stuff is kinda true and everything. Of like, okay, all right, you guys are doing <laughs> this. Why? Like maybe maybe it's not, maybe it is an op. Like yeah, yeah. Like that's suspicious in and of itself. I'm like, more leaning towards this the, happen? all of this is an op sort of stuff now, but Ooh. Uh, I don't have any grounds for that. That's just my gut feeling, you know? I don't know. I've, I've seen some shit. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll talk about it at this party that's a we're both going to later. Episode. <laughs> Let me tell uh, you about the big red U- cube. What was it? Not UDAs. That's the fuckers. UAP. Yeah. Okay. UAP. <laughs> I gotta do some research. No, I won't sleep this week if I do that. <laughs> uh, maybe in a few weeks. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, you want to call it there? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, next week we will be shooting that shit. Maybe it's UAPs. Maybe not. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts. Or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff. 
with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.